If you're in charge of people, no matter what industry you're in, your job is to send people home in an as good or better condition than when they showed up to you. If you're taking people to another country or you're going anywhere you've never been before, just understand a little bit about the culture and the place. A little bit of reading and a little bit of knowledge goes a long way. People hear the word risk and go, oh, bad, danger. No, it doesn't have to be that at all. Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Robb. On this episode, we'll be talking to Tom Warnicke about risk management. Hailing from his hometown of Melbourne, Tom is a technical and production manager with experience throughout Australia, Asia, and the Middle East. He has worked in many formats ranging from theater and musicals through to festivals, live music, and major events and mega shows. While his experience stems from lighting, he has a background in emergency management and works often in helping technical teams manage change. Tom is a trained EMT and has an MBA as well as a Bachelor of Arts in Counterterrorism. When not running production shows, he enjoys finding new music, finding the best unknown restaurants and bars, traveling and exploring new places, and living life in search for great stories and experiences. Tom is currently based in Dubai as an expat, attempting to make sense of that fascinating part of the world. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Tom, so thank you for joining on the show, and it's really good to see you again. Tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing in Dubai, or have been doing. Totally. So thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here. Nice to see you both. I've been in Dubai for about four years now, and I've been here as a project manager, uh, primarily for an AV supplier, one of the major AV suppliers out here. And then most recently, over the past uh, 18 months, uh, I've been a freelance production manager, technical director, and also started with a few others, a consultancy firm based in project management, but also risk management, primarily dealing with events and things out here. But yeah, out here dealing with uh, all the major events across Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and the wider region as well. So working across Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, uh, and further into Eastern North Africa as well. So there's a lot to be done over here. And especially in centered on risk management. So tell, tell people generally, you know, risk management, what is it and how do you apply it to the events team and how do you consult for it? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, risk management's a bit of an interesting thing because I think a lot of people the first thing in their mind when they think about risk, particularly in our industry, is the guy walking around in a high-vis vest and a clipboard telling you to wear steel toes or to put a harness on or whatever it might be. And that that health and safety approach is definitely there, 100%, uh, as it should be. My, I guess my approach to risk management comes more from uh, my academic background a little bit, but also uh, other bits and pieces that I've worked on over time and, and other things that I've done back in Australia and elsewhere. So risk management for me is a bit more holistic. I think Uh, it's less about the operational safety factors and, and you know, harnesses and high-vis and working at heights and electrical safety. That's definitely still there, definitely important. But for me, risk management is a bit more holistic, um, particularly over here, not so much because it's the Middle East, but because we do a lot of traveling and we move around a lot. So all of a sudden, all these other risks come into play, whether they're uh, travel risks, geopolitical risks. COVID-19 is a perfect example at the moment. There's a big pandemic risk everywhere in the world. Uh, just taking people outside of where they're familiar and, and hoping to still produce great work, put on amazing shows, but trying to do that in the safest way possible uh, and really trying to manage 
the challenges and the the threats and risks and and things that might just appear that you might not be used to in your home environment. So then what about um, risk mitigation? And uh, I guess change management comes with that holistic way of seeing things. Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, risk mitigation is kind of a Realistically, risk mitigation is one tool in the box. It's it's basically the control mechanism once something's been identified. So if you think about it like a normal stage show, you've got an orchestra pit and you're concerned about people falling off the edge and falling into the pit or falling off the front of a concert stage, the mitigation is really just how you fix that, how you deal with that, how you control that. So it's just one part. Like I say, risk management's a bit more overarching. It's about helping people uh, stay safe and while achieving their their overall goals and and helping them kind of pursue all those opportunities. That's what's exciting about it. Change management, on the other hand, is a little bit different. And that's uh, in some ways, uh, actually, I take that back. In some ways, that's very similar. It is about uh, helping people, you know, reach their, their best possible version of what they're trying to do and also help them explore different opportunities. But it's it's less about risk and issues more about just exploring what's possible and that's it's funny because that's actually where i met anna at house of dancing water i came on board as a technical manager for for lighting and for projection but also to run a change management program for that department and just kind of help them be a more tight-knit a more uh, effective and efficient version of themselves and, and help them be the best kind of lighting department they could be i guess so for me change management is about that uh, kind of approach, helping a team or a show or a bunch of people go from one place to another and help them kind of develop as best they can. It's a very niche sort of role really in, in and maybe I think people maybe even consider a luxury role in entertainment, I guess, the change management aspect of it. Do you sort of foresee that really being um, consulting companies that put on the events rather than a resident show like the House of Dancing Water more as a as a part of the business than you know because there wouldn't be a lot of shows of the scale and scope of house dancing water looking to make shifts and change or hiring somebody to do that so is that through you know looking and assessing a company's operations and figuring out how to make it better and then if it's going to make it better then in what way yeah i mean i think change management as a function is totally a luxury in in any industry uh because typically change management programs are rolled out by Fortune 500s or big banking or oil and gas, like it's a very corporate thing in its truest sense. But having said that, change management as a skill set, as a thing that has to happen, well, we'll do it every day anyway. You know, the, the one of the best things about working in this industry and one of the things about uh, most people who work in it is we're really, really good at dealing with change. We're dealing with stuff being different every day, whether that's the fact I'm working on a different show, working with different people, or whether that's on the more uh, problematic end of like, oh, this equipment failed, or I missed my flight, or whatever it might be. You know, we're actually, as an industry, we're really good at dealing with change. So I would say, you know, bringing me in at House of Dancing Water, yeah, that's kind of niche to bring in someone to focus on it outside of just their day-to-day job. But in terms of actually doing it and, and what we went through, I'd say that that happens whether people know it or not on a daily basis. And for me, actual actual change management and the bits we did are actually just part of being a good manager and being good uh, people manager and running a department or running a show or whatever it might be. Uh, well, you know, the fact that I was able to be brought in, especially for that, shows a dedication by Dragone and Melko and House of Dancing Water to prioritise that, which is awesome. Uh, but I think day to day, particularly where there aren't budgets for it or the show is smaller or whatever it might be, 
it can still happen. You know, you can still do it. You can affect change in your day-to-day management of the people working under you. You don't need to bring someone in for it. Do you think it's a fine line in terms of change management? How do you approach that balance in terms of most people in their workplace probably consider they don't need to change? Right. So you're coming in and you're going to go rock the apple cart or tip it over. And how, again, I guess, do you mitigate those, the people management of that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's every situation is different, right? Like some places you go to and speaking on more of the corporate end, uh, you know, if you're talking about change management in banking, for example, They use change management as kind of a euphemism for we want to make more money, we want to fire a bunch of people, we want to be more efficient. That's not what they say, but really that's what they mean. They're using it as a way to be more efficient. I guess my approach and the approach with House um, and just generally is we want to improve things. And it comes from a place of we want this to be better because we want the show to be better. We want this to be better because we want the day-to-day lives of the people that are working there to be better. And we want people to be able to uh, enjoy their job more, do it better, you know, all these things. So for, for me, these are all positives. And, and therefore, in terms of that fine line about walking in, you know, as I did with House, kind of walked in, sight unseen, no one there knew me, I didn't know them. Uh, and, you know, I kind of go, hey, I'm here. Um, the first words out of my mouth were never going to be, I'm here to change everything about what you do. That's insane. I would have been pitchforked within seconds of walking in the door. I think what it's about is showing a willingness to be open and, and listen to people and go, cool, well, I'm here really just as a fresh set of ears. If I walked into house and I sat down with every member of staff, spoke to them about what they were currently doing, what I'd heard, and just chatted about their jobs and their show and their daily life. And out of that, I made notes and some things could change. Some things were amazing and stayed the same. But I think it's that willingness to be open I'm here to come in to change things, uh, not for the sake of change, but I'm here to come in and help you be as good as you can be. And if that means that I'm just here as a fresh set of eyes and ears um, and maybe give you a different perspective from something I've done before or a different place I've been, awesome. The challenge I think you're talking about, though, Anna, is when you come up against really structural change or where there is that hesitant, the hesitance to change because maybe one person has a really good thing going, but the rest of the team don't. And of course, you have to change it for the entire team. That one person's going to get their nose out of joint because obviously their life is going to change not for the better. Everyone else is going to improve. And I think then it's just about a balance of being tough but fair, but also going, we're here to make this whole thing better. And maybe I am changing you know, something you do on a daily basis, but let's talk about what you really want to do. Let's talk about you know, why are you here doing this job? What What's your passions? What are you interested in? And maybe it's a trade-off and we go, cool, we're changing X, but why don't we give you Y and Z as well? So it always comes down to people, right? And uh, Anna was saying that sometimes people don't want to change and you're saying that we are used to change and I think both are true. <laughs> and, and also you've mentioned the role the people in the management position play when dealing with change and the teams and situations. So the human factor is huge. And how do we make sure we have the right people? Like, where does it come into play choosing the people in the team as a way of risk management? So I I think whether you're talking about uh, just normal HODs running teams, technical directors dealing with crews, or you're dealing with an active kind of push to change a team, or you're dealing with something in a 
like a riskier end of of things. So you're you're picking a team to go off into a riskier uh, endeavor. It is. It's all about choosing the right people. And I think the number one thing with that is a trust and a confidence. That's what everybody really wants. You know, everybody wants to be seen, to be heard as an individual. And I still insist that that's true. No matter where you go in the world, people want to be seen. People want to be heard. And if you can demonstrate as a manager that you hear people, you see people, you get them. You might not give them the answers they want. You might not give them everything they want. But you go, you know what? I hear you. I get it. I see what you're saying. Then that that's actually the most important part. Uh, and I think that builds trust and that builds a confidence that then means that team can do really amazing and powerful things. You know, our industry is very stressful and people often uh, talk about it in relation to like air traffic controllers or um, chefs as well in hospitality. You know, that's a very stressful environment. Um, or the military, you know, that's a very stressful environment. We're right up there. And that seems really strange to talk about when our industry delivers stuff that is about having fun and having a good time. But actually, we all take our jobs very seriously because we're kind of the guardians of that fun. You know, we we go out, we put on concerts, we put on shows because we want people to have an amazing time. But the business of doing that's very serious. And I think the way to do that and a way to get that team on board is through that trust and that that understanding that you're there, particularly as a manager, that you're there to support those guys, you're there to support that team, and you're there to look after them. You know, if you can depend on them and they can depend on you, then everything works out really, really well. Probably one of the earlier shows I did when I was out here in Dubai, we had some really, really bad weather. And I'll always remember this day. We had some super bad weather. It was a concert festival day out in the field and the wind was quite, was quite high. We we're expecting this. And just throughout the morning, throughout soundcheck, uh, it was getting worse and worse to the point where we had to actually abandon the stage. Like we kind of had to leave because things were flying around. It was getting a little bit too dangerous. So we pulled everybody off stage. One of the issues, though, I faced was that the main LED screen on the back of the stage was starting to uh, fly up, making hand gestures as though you can see me, but it's a podcast. Um, You know, the the screen itself was starting to go, not vertical, it was starting to go a little bit horizontal, which anyone who'll tell you if they've worked in rigging or video is not a good sign because that screen can pull apart, can blow through the air, people will get hurt. That's not a good thing. Uh, And basically, there was this point in the day where we just kind of had to make a decision. Do we try and pull down the screen? Do we just abandon sight? You know, what do we do? How do we save the situation? Now, I will always say that, and I firmly believe, you know, nothing comes beyond the safety of your team. That is absolutely number one. And that should be everyone's first priority. But we had a lull in this weather. Like there was a freakish kind of five minutes where winds had died down and we had to make a snap decision. Now, this is where the importance of that team really kicks in because I was working with a team who is world-class and I still work with them to this day. They are amazing people who I trust implicitly to get a job done. And likewise, I think they trust me, which is where you get this really great combination of of work and you get a great camaraderie. I jumped on the radio and went, hey, guys, we need to do X, Y, and Z. Um, We've got about three minutes. We've we've got a very short space of time, but we need to pull the screen down because then it's safer for everybody. And then we can abandon sight and go on our way. Anyway, so we did this. The teams came off the stage. We pulled the screen down. It was perfectly safe. We got it done as fast as humanly possible. And then we left stage and, and the, the day continued. And in the end, the weather got a lot worse and we ended up kind of abandoning the day. But my point with that, I guess, is that what's so important is that for that five-minute period where the, this team was on stage pulling down the screen and, and doing everything they needed to do, there was nothing more important to me. There was nothing else going on in my mind other than 
the safety and security of those people on stage. You know, it's my job as a manager, uh, as I believe it is for every production manager, tour manager, whoever out there. Like, if you're in charge of people, no matter what industry you're in, your job is to send people home in an as good or better condition than when they showed up to you. So not only is there incredibly bad weather and we've had to stop work and potentially evacuate the site, I'm now asking these people to come on stage to make the place safer, but potentially, you know, this has a fair bit of risk to it. But because they trust me, they're willing to do it. We made safe. I'm incredibly focused on their safety. We're all good. So it's it's that trust and that, that codependence that I think is key. It just sounds so easy. And in practice, sometimes I feel it's not that straightforward. <laughs> Oh, 100%. Like, uh, I'm not going to lie and say that it was it was super easy on the day. You know, we all have those moments in our jobs. And I think uh, I was certainly feeling the pressure of that. But at the same time, you can only do what you can do right there and then. And one of the one of the most important things, I think, in in risk management, but in, in any kind of management is about understanding that a good decision now, in, in most cases, there are situations where it's not, but in most cases, a good decision now is better than the best decision in five minutes time. And ultimately, if you've always got the view that your team's safety is number one and safety and security is number one, if that's always at the top of the list and you trust your team, they trust you, you can't really go wrong. Because as part of that, you know, I say I jumped on the radio and said, guys, uh, we need to do this. There was a process before that 30 seconds where I caught up with one of the heads of department. I caught up with one or two other people and went, hey, I'm thinking this. What do you think? X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, I talked it out with people because as a, as a production manager, I don't hold all the cards. I don't hold all the answers. So actually, I spoke with three or four people and went, thinking this, we might need to do this. X, Y, and Z, what are your thoughts? It's then my job to come up with a decision, which I did, and we ran with it. But in terms of that, you know, you make it sound so easy. Yeah, it's a team effort all the way through. Do you think that places like the Middle East particularly give you and present you situations that you're more often in peril, I guess? <laughs> my, one of my favourite stories of Tom's was when he took the tour. I always remember this because I giggle about it from time to time when you were doing the tour of Dorothy the dinosaur in Saudi Arabia, right? Oh, uh, do- uh, yeah, yeah Dorothy, yes. Uh, no, sorry, Dorothy. Barney the dinosaur. Barney the dinosaur, you know, yeah. oh, sorry, I'm getting my children's dinosaurs. entertainment mixed up, dinosaurs mixed <laughs> up. And anyway, she, and, and you'd packed up one venue and you were going to the next town, but you didn't even know where the venue was <laughs> for the next town, yeah. um, even though it was there was scheduled performance and everybody bought tickets, but yeah. you still had no idea where the venue was. And I just, I love that story. It's, it's, it's one that I use often when I try to explain to people a little bit how it works in the Middle East because There's definitely things that you would expect to be arranged, organized, facilitated, set up, structured, whatever that, you know, in, in say Australia or US, whatever, that all that book gets thrown out the window. (laughs) And you're like, okay. And is that where your passion, like in the last four years, about risk mitigation and risk management? Because I think you're presented with it a lot more in the face there. Do you think that's because of your location that you've become so passionate about it? I mean, I think partly we talk about, you know, we use these terms like risk mitigation and risk management. And they always, to me, they always sound so grand and so um, ah, so boring. So, you know, like so very financial and corporate when they're not. Actually, all it is, is about going, we want to make sure that we've kind of got all the problems out of the way to have a smooth ride ahead. So, you know, that example of, of the tour of Barney the Dinosaur is a perfect example of working in the Middle East. Like, 
for better or for worse, we were loading trucks in one town, expecting to go to another town, but didn't know where, didn't know the venue, had no address to give the truck driver. Like, you know, we finished loading three trucks. Truck driver turned to me and went, cool, so where are we going? And I went, look, just head south. Um, we'll see you in three days. Like, you know, things like that don't happen in Australia. They don't happen in the UK. They don't happen in the US. Uh, so that for me, yeah, it's it seems crazy, but it's actually part of the fun. Like I love ch- uh, those kind of moments because what's the, at the end of the day too, what's the worst that can happen? We're putting on kids shows where, you know, and even beyond kids shows, we work in events, we work in entertainment. We're very rarely are we saving lives. Uh, you know, we're here to make entertainment. So there's no point getting super stressed about it. But what it does produce is an amazing environment to build your personal skills and your personal resilience about going, okay, I can handle situations better. Uh, that'll, that leads into your daily life as well. Um, but it really is a place where anything can happen. And that's why I think risk management for me out here is uh, so broad and so fascinating because I go to work every day and I haven't had two days the same in four years since I've been here. Like every day there is something else, whether it's minor, whether it's hilarious, whether it's major and catastrophic, you know, every kind of issue situation you can imagine happens out here. And that's that's actually really cool. I, I really love that. And I think that a lot of the people that are out here feel the same way. Like, yes, in the moment, uh, you know, we, we talk about touring uh, to a couple of countries over here and it's always the case of when you're there, it's the, it's, so frustrating and so painful and this and that and the other thing. But every time we come back, guaranteed, it makes for amazing stories at the pub. It makes for amazing conversations at a dinner party. Like it's one of those things that I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it at all. I think there's such an incredible industry here where anything can happen. You've got, there's a really cool industry here of people who kind of facilitate that, let that happen. And they're the right temperament. It's a, yeah, it's a one of a kind kind of place. Uh, how is that different when, uh, or if you get to work, uh, you mentioned uh, Africa, and I imagine as a part that it's closer to the Middle East. Yeah. So, I mean, things get, so for the large part, I work across the Gulf, uh, primarily in the UAE, oftentimes, and certainly with the, the new push from Saudi Arabia, they've got a lot going on over there. So we're finding ourselves industry-wide here, heading to Saudi Arabia more. But also there's always things going on in Oman, Kuwait and, and whatnot. There are some people here who do it, but I think um, oftentimes Africa is is still feels like a long, long way away. I've been there twice now, uh, once to Egypt and once to uh, Djibouti, which is in East Africa on the East Coast. I've had some really interesting experiences there. We we took that level of unknown, which we've had across the Gulf, and times it by 10 because you're really going to places that uh, aren't People don't go there very often for entertainment. You know, you don't see Live Nation touring their A-list acts to East Africa. You don't see the Royal Shakespeare Company out of London going to Nigeria, going to Mali. You just don't see these things. And because of that, uh, they're not used to dealing with us. We're not used to dealing with that level of unknown. So it becomes really, really fascinating. I took a show to uh, East Africa, when was it? Probably the second year I was here. And it became... Uh, a real exercise in logistics and operations, but also an exercise in just understanding local culture. We were there for a major national holiday and it was just the case of, you know, where is our equipment? It's been six days. We needed it five days ago. And there's a different time. There's a different speed in a lot of these countries. So all of that kind of boils together to be a really interesting experience. But I think Africa 
is is unlike anywhere else you've seen. And I would say beyond the golf times another 10. Wow, that sounds exciting, I guess. <laughs> It's the word. Uh, so, yeah, one such example, I guess, is when we took a show to East Africa. We were there for a, a major event. Uh, we went down there and there were major issues with logistics and operations in terms of, you know, where is our kit? We saw equipment shipped from Dubai and it was ending up in Egypt, Tokyo, like the tracker was showing it happening all over the place. Um, eventually, we got it sort of five days later um, and ended up doing five days work in one, which was quite fascinating. But I think those kind of challenges are, are really frequent there. I think the other thing was when we were there, going back to the idea of managing risk and dealing with teams, is that when you take people to an environment, certainly big parts of Africa, but I would say the same of South America and, and many others, places where it's more challenging, it's a bit more of a, a complex environment, you really need to be on top of safety and security and you really need the trust of your team and they really need to want to be there. And I think one of the things we often overlook across the board is, is why are people doing what they're doing? So I'll come back to that in a second. But when we went to this event in, in East Africa, we basically we were driving through this part of town. Uh, every day we'd had the same driver. They'd clearly been briefed kind of on the same route to take, uh, which was nice along the coastal road and, And, you know, great, took us to the venue, perfect. No sign of any trouble, no sign of any issues. This day, we finally got our kit. We jumped in the car, the driver took us, and new driver, new car. And I don't think he was briefed as well as to how to take us and where to go. Because all of a sudden, we ended up going further and further into the heart of the city, which we'd never seen before. And, you know, it certainly got to a more challenging environment. I would say there were certainly poorer areas of that city that we went through that didn't feel the safest to an unknown entity. You know, we've just come, come off a plane from Dubai, so we're not familiar with this part of town. And all of a sudden we're going through this, this area. This kind of came to a head when all of a sudden we were driving down a laneway through the middle of the market kind of district, I suppose. Really narrow street, uh, room for one car. You know, there's one road in, one road out in, in, in what is called journey management planning when you deal with security planning for complex environments and you plan out your journey. Uh, this would be called a rat trap where you're basically stuck. So if anything happens, we're stuck. It's a dead end. And we we had security plans with us. We deal with those issues on paper and we, we brief the team and whatnot about how we're going to uh, deal with situations and whatnot. But this wasn't something we'd expected. Anyway, so our car comes to a stop and the driver just jumps out. It's dusk. It's like quarter to six at night. The sun is setting. We're in a part of the city we'd never been to before. It's a really poor part of town. And you've got four Westerners sitting in the in a Toyota Land Cruiser gaining a lot of attention because we're not from East Africa. So, you know, everyone's wondering why we're in this part of town, why we're there. And it was just super uncomfortable. And it's those kind of moments that really test the mettle of people when you're not familiar with those environments and test the comfortability. Now, fortunately, we were fine, but it also had the potential to go the other way where it could have been a real security risk. We had plans in place and we have we have ways of dealing with that. But Ultimately, what that comes down to is how comfortable is the team with me? How comfortable am I with them? How comfortable are we all being in this situation? And what are we going to do if something goes wrong? Did you have that discussion in the car? Or the, where did the driver go, by the way? I'm fascinated. I want to know. <laughs> what the hell did he get out of the car for? So, the thing was, he just wasn't briefed about uh, the route to take for us to get to the venue. So uh, he was just stopping at like the hardware store. Uh, he was just stopping like it was just on his way home. Um, so it was no big deal. But the thing was, to the untrained eye, to, to us, 
we didn't know where we were. We were in the heart of a city, in the middle of the poorest part of the city, in what is potentially can be quite a volatile region, kind of uncontactable, invisible, invisible. So that was really interesting. In terms of the conversation, we had security briefings before we left. So I briefed the team uh, before we left Dubai and we kind of spoke about, look, we're going to parts of East Africa. Sometimes that can be a little bit dicey. We took on all the Foreign Commonwealth Office, DFAT for Australia, all their security information, and we kind of hatched a security plan, which has all those elements, things like journey management planning, um, and without becoming too academic about it. It's all just the standard stuff you would consider when you're going anywhere, really. I guess we just considered it very deliberately. So, you know, what hotels do you stay at? What kind of security is at the hotel? You know, when you drive uh, through the city, are you just taking taxis? Are you taking a bus? Are you taking chauffeured cars? You know, who who are you with? What sort of food do you eat? Is the water safe to drink? All these questions that feel pretty fundamental, we kind of went through and we just spoke about. In terms of what do we do if we're in some sort of ambush checkpoint situation, look, we spoke a little bit about that, but it was more around how to deal with checkpoints if you pass through them, uh, you know, being polite, being visible. Um, and there's some standard stuff you kind of do when you pass through a checkpoint. But for that exact situation, it was very much a case of like, okay, cool. We're here. We're in the car. Lock the doors. Uh, let's have a quick chat about what we do if this goes south. You know, you're going to drive. We're going to go here. We're going to try and get back to this part of town. You know, you hatch plans in the moment. And that's ultimately what we all do on a daily basis, whether you're a GSM or a production manager. In this case, it just happened to be security related. But yeah, there were definitely some conversations at that moment of going, this doesn't feel right. We need to get out of here. Uh, but like I say, in the end, absolutely fine. And I think that's not actually uh, now solely the situation with certain countries around the world. You know, I think we know that terrorism and, and situations can happen anywhere. And if the last, say, five or six years is any kind of example, in fact, there has been some quite public events where things have happened in Manchester bombing, you know, um, in Paris and places around. So, you know, I think moving forward with entertainment, I guess it's not just what I'm saying is it's not just because you're in Africa or Middle East and so these sort of things need to be assessed and looked at wherever you are now. 100%. And I think one camp thinks that it's only if you're going to Middle East, South America, Africa, that you need to be concerned about these things, but you don't need to be concerned if you're in Europe, US, Australia. That, as you've said, kind of doesn't bear fruit anymore because we're seeing things happen like the horrible uh, bombing in Manchester or we're seeing, uh, you know, other terrorist acts like the Bali bombings years ago um, in Indonesia. You know, we're seeing these things happen everywhere. At the same time, you don't need to be constantly stressed about it. That doesn't have a place either. I think it's about a realisation that this is the world we live in and you need to keep people safe. And sometimes there are places where it's more heightened and some places it's less. But I do think we're coming into a world where you need to think about it because the other camp are the ones who go, oh, no, it'll be fine. You know, there's we often see it out here with uh, older generations of expats, not just in this industry, but across the board. Like, oh, I've been in Dubai for 20 years. You can do X, Y, and Z. It's fine. Um, and it's like, that's not actually the case. That like the place changes, geopolitics changes. So the more you're kind of thinking about it, the more you can respond in a current and effective way. Do you think that's, becoming an increasing situation or issue to think about because we're going out and doing more ambitious projects or is the world changing or both? Uh, I think I think it's a bit of both. Like we are, the world is changing 100%. We're seeing things happen around the world that, that either wouldn't have happened 20 years ago or maybe we're just more connected and we're hearing about it more now. 
But the other part to that is we are doing more ambitious things in more places. You know, whether it's big brands are going and do corporate launches, uh, they're going and doing corporate launches in uh, Nigeria or Colombia or Cambodia or, you know, all these places around the world that aren't traditionally, you know, first world Western entertainment places. You're seeing major events and major projects happen in these places. And I think it's awesome to do that. Like I would be the first to sign up to go to any of those places because I think there's something incredible about doing what we do in places like that. At the same time, you just need to keep it in the back of your mind that you are going to places that are riskier, you know, and risk doesn't have to mean terrorism. Like one of the biggest risks in a lot of places in the Middle East, in a lot of places in Africa is actually motor vehicle accidents. Uh, You know, the risk of terrorism in big parts of the Middle East is actually much lower than it is in London or Australia. The bigger threat is being in a car accident. So when you're assessing your security, when you're thinking about safety and how you take a team to a different country and what are the things you need to worry about, uh, a terrorism act, a a bombing is not actually on the top of the list. It's more, what sort of cars are you going to use and who's going to drive them? Like, are they roadworthy? Does the person drive the speed limit? Like really mundane things. That's, you know, threat number one. And the fact that you're allowed to drive 140 kilometres an hour between Abu Dhabi and Dubai and nobody should be driving. <laughs> That's true. <us. laughs> and then I'm Absolutely, trying to yeah, at a reasonable sure. speed that I'm comfortable with and then watching these cars, like, screw, like I I had, it was scary for me, honestly, driving um, yeah. highways uh, at that kind of speed. It's you know, And there's other places <laughs> in the world that allow people to drive that fast, Germany. Totally. Uh, but, but it's interesting you mentioned that, actually, because like something like driving 140 k's an hour, I do that every day because I live here and I'm used to that and that's what it is. But I'd say the biggest thing to keep people safe, the, the, the one thing, if I can kind of impart any wisdom today whatsoever, is if you're taking people to another country or you're going anywhere you've never been before, just understand a little bit about the culture and the place. A little bit of reading and a little bit of knowledge goes a long way. So... Uh, you know, understanding that actually the speed limit here is 140 down the highway and that the left-hand lane is the fast lane. Really simple. But if you're in the fast lane, expect to do 140 or expect a lot of people to get angry at you. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Just be on the other, like be in one of the other lanes. But that that kind of understanding. Be in the truck lane. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Where they're doing 60, <laughs> like, and they'll take seven hours to get there. But it, but yeah, it, yeah it's it's that kind of cultural and that that understanding of wherever you're going, you know, understand the cultural norms, understand what the place is like, understand how dangerous it is. Like turn on CNN, turn on BBC, do some research and just go, I'm going to Egypt. I'm going to Spain. I'm going to China. What's going on this month? Like what's actually happening there? So it feels like a loophole of uh, trying to know what you don't know but you maybe don't know what you don't know. <laughs> a little bit. And then when it's too much, like when do you have enough information? I think there's a difference between information and opinion though, right? Like I, I love geopolitics. I'm interested in the world around me. I'm interested in, you know, there are days, there are rarely days where I'm not following the news of some sort just to see what's going on in the world. At the same time, there's a very real difference between fact and, and knowledge and opinions. So I think if you're talking about wanting to go somewhere new and, and understand a new place, it's 
about getting the facts first and you can do that from home you can understand is the water safe to drink you can understand what side of the road do people drive on you can look historically on on a news website or anywhere about you know what's happened in that town is historically is there a lot of terrorism is there uh you know is there been a tsunami there like is there bad weather all these kind of things you can understand from afar but i'd say the best bet then is once you start getting into the more opinion realm absolutely turn off your computer do not pay attention to what some uh, journalist thinks about Egypt based from Washington, like that doesn't really have a place. What I would say has a place is talk to your contacts, talk to people you know in your network. Uh, Generally, if you're touring for entertainment, you've got some local connection wherever you're going. There'll be a local promoter, there'll be a local supplier, there'll be a local trucking company, whoever it is you can talk, deal with, talk to them and go, hey, I've never been to Riyadh before. Uh, what's it like there? All I know is what I've seen on CNN or all I know is what I've heard. And very quickly, people want to tell you about their country and they want to tell you what it's like and you'll get a very honest opinion. And I found that, I mean, I know, Anna, you've been to Saudi a lot as well. I found that that before I went there, I had a very different opinion on what the place is to actually going there because it is, historically, it's been a very closed place. It's certainly opening up now, but I think there's a difference between what you see on the media and in the press and the popular opinion, I suppose, versus when you actually talk to people and and they go there. Absolutely. And I think one of the most interesting, you know, when Anna, you say, you know, how do you wrap that all up into, you know, what what do you take on and what do you not? Tom shared with me before I went to Saudi Arabia, well, I don't know what you called that package of information about Saudi Arabia. I don't remember what you called it, but it was basically a briefing on Saudi Arabia and it gave you all the tips of like cultural norms, political situation, expected behaviours. And I think for me that was enough to go, okay, I've got the landscape of what this is. I mean, certainly I'm going to have to find my own way um, as a female, I guess, in that situation and when do I have to have the abaya on and when can I take it off and all of those expected things, you know, and, and and you know, when those when you're actually in the country, it's nice because if you know there's those frameworks there that when men don't get in the elevator with you because you're a woman by yourself, you understand why, right? They're like, that's not appropriate. You know, if you're in a conservative part of Saudi Arabia, two men are not going to get into an elevator with a single woman that's there by herself. So you're not questioning that behaviour. You're like, okay, I understand what's going on here and you're comfortable in that. And I think that puts you at ease because I think if I went into Saudi Arabia without any of that information, I probably would have been super freaked out, like what is happening here? I don't understand. Am I behaving correctly? And there's always that kind of, you know, am I doing the right thing? And I'm one of those people that tend to lay really low for a long time um, until I get feel comfortable um, and then start to interact more carefully just until you feel comfortable in your surroundings, I guess. Oh, totally. But also that uh, going back to what we were talking about before in terms of, you know, having good teams and, and how do you put good teams together? One of the things, particularly if you're going to unknown places or perhaps uh, more mysterious places, complex places, more challenging environments, is you really want to know the temperament of the people you're going with for both critical tasks and not. So, you know, like you say, Anna, you're typically one to labor low and you would have been a bit more freaked out had you not had that information. Well, that's actually really good to know because as part of building that team and putting that team together, you want, you want 
to know who's going to be quite forward and who's going to be really comfortable in that environment. Um, you want to know who does take their time, who is kind of the quiet ones in that group. And you want to know ultimately too, if there's anyone in that group who's really freaked out about this. Like if you're taking a tour to Saudi and you've got two or three people in that team who are really freaked out about going there, then you probably want to have a conversation before you leave, you know, and go, look, these are the realities of the country. It's not actually everything you've heard or, or tell me about what the, the concerns are you have. And I think that's the case of no matter where you go, whether it's Australia, Bangladesh, you can go anywhere. It's about having that same conversation because that comfortability in normal times when you're just going out to a restaurant or you're driving to the venue makes the whole experience so much more pleasurable if everybody's actually um, okay and comfortable. And then on the flip side to that, if you are in a situation that's dangerous or you are in an incident or a critical incident, you know how people are going to react. So for me as a project manager, it's all about knowing your team and how they're going to work in certain situations. I, uh, I was just an example just popped up in my head. When I was doing some training, uh, I did an internship with an organization called Red R out of Australia when I was finishing my bachelor's in counterterrorism. And we did some training, which was hostile environment training years ago. And one of the things we did, it was an exercise in dealing with crossfire, like, a, you know, there's one tribe shooting at another tribe or one group of people shooting at another group of people and you're stuck in the middle as an aid worker. Uh, you're stuck in the middle. What do you do? Well, there's practical implications to that. Of course, you want to get out of the way, get down on the ground and move as fast as you can. But the thing that stuck with me about that is that if you're caught in that situation, um, what you want to do and what you want everyone else in that team to do is yell as loudly as you can to move. Now, the reason you do that isn't because nobody understands that you have to move. I think everybody gets the fact you're being shot at and you need to get out of the way. I think what it is, is that in that exact moment, you're going to have people who will get it. They'll be totally calm. They'll just be like, oh, this is what's happening as though they're walking to the shops and buying you know, milk and eggs. Like It is so normal for them. They're comfortable, so they do what they're told. You'll have other people in that group who will be paralyzed with fear. Like They won't drop to the ground. They won't move. Because they don't know what's going on. The, uh, the subconscious part of their brain has totally taken over and they are in a fight or flight kind of time. So the reason I, I bring up that story is because it's super important to know who or have a kind of a, a rough idea in your team of who's at what end of that spectrum. Look, you're never going to know unless an incident happens how people are going to deal with it. But you can always have a bit of a vague idea or a, an inkling as to how people are going to operate and then you can help um, manage that accordingly. So I think that's really important. It is so like understanding human psychology, but also the social context that gets you to there and there are anthropological settings that set us to react in a certain way. And then just... <laughs> totally. That's what I love about it. Tom's like the only person that can make risk management interesting as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> Way too kind. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the one other thing I just thought about uh, in terms of that, you know, it's interesting you talk about anthropology and sociology and whatnot. And it's one thing that we worked on a little bit towards the end of my time in house, Anna, with the stage management team was um, the situational awareness stuff and the, the color code. I don't know if you remember it. it. It was pretty brief, but it's an idea that, um, and it comes out of the military. It's called the Cooper color code. And it's, it's all around situational awareness. So when you're working with a team or you can apply this to yourself too, if you as a human being are in a place 
that you're unfamiliar with, how would you react? How would you deal with problems? Or just generally in day-to-day life, walking at the shops, how do you deal with problems and things as they occur? And this concept of situational awareness is basically a way to help you better protect yourself and better help manage situations uh, as they change. And that can be um, dangerous situations, can be just unforeseen situations, can be bad weather, all sorts of things. So the idea is basically situational awareness is where human beings have a baseline of your surroundings. We all have, you know, our familiar places, our house, our workplace, our car, our drive to work. All these things are super familiar. So therefore, if something changed in those places, you'd know instantly. But if you go to somewhere new, well, you don't have that same uh, baseline. So if I'm driving from my house to work and all of a sudden there's tons of water on the road and there's cars going all over the place, I know instantly that that's something different. That's something dangerous. The road's flooding. There might be a car accident, something like that. Um, So I can react accordingly. But if I go to somewhere like only because I was there, I went to Addis Ababa once, I was on a layover from another trip and it was pouring with rain and there were tons of traffic and I saw at least half a dozen accidents within the first 10 minutes of being there. But I don't know if that's normal. Is that how people drive? Is that because of the weather? Is that really rare? And actually it's the safest driving country in the world. Like I I don't know these things because I don't have that baseline. So the situational awareness is about having that baseline so you can build from it. The Cooper Color Code talks about how you as a person react in certain situations. Now, we spoke about this with the stage management team at House because the stage management team there are often the first ones or the primary function for dealing with emergencies and dealing with crisis and and issues. So if you have a performer, say a Russian swing performer, comes off the swing um, and basically goes to dive, comes straight back down, so lands under the swing, that's probably one of the most dangerous situations you can have in that act. So all of a sudden, you need to react to this and you need to react very, very quickly. But if you're not paying attention or you're on your phone or you're busy queuing another performer, you don't have the the bandwidth to instantly jump into that. And that's where this color code comes in. So really briefly, you've got five colors. Basically, white uh, is you're you're personally sitting at your house. Um, You might be looking at a plant outside. Like you have no understanding of what's going on in the world. Um, You're just happy. You're chilling out but you're not really aware of what's going on around you because it's your safe space. You're totally cool. Uh, Yellow is where you're a bit more heightened and you're suddenly aware of what's going on around you. So you're uh, perhaps attuned to the fact there's a car backfiring outside or there's dark clouds in the sky. So it looks like it's going to rain. Or maybe you see someone dodgy walking past you in the street at night. doesn't mean you're doing a thing. It just means you're a bit more aware of it. And you're just picking up on all these cues around you as you go. If you go to orange, that's when you're, starting to feel, you know, that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach where you're like, something's going wrong. I can't put my finger on it, but something's dangerous or some incident's about to happen. You know, you get that bad feeling. That's where orange would kick in and you started to go, okay, so if that dodgy person who just walked past me down the alleyway is trying to mug me, I could do any one of five things. You're still not doing anything, but you're just thinking about it in your own head. When you move to red, that's when you're actually taking action. So you're like, okay, crisis has occurred. Problem has occurred. I'm going to do A, B, and C. And you move in action and you deal with it. And then lastly, you've got black, which is too far at the end of the spectrum, where you're constantly panicked about everything and you're completely freaked out and you just shut down. You can't deal with anything. So all of that is the long way of saying that when you're um, dealing with that situational awareness, you want to live pretty much in yellow and move from yellow, orange to red kind of thing. But that kind of approach is really, really interesting when it comes to traveling overseas. 
or when you have to deal with maybe your stage management team at House of Dancing Water and you're constantly on the lookout for danger and incidents and, you know, a motorbike act that's gone wrong or a performer that isn't clipped in. If you're in white, you are too far relaxed and you are just not going to be able to pick up things fast enough. And you're, if you're too far at the other end, you're constantly stressed and you are absolutely going to melt down. So you want to kind of sit in that, that yellow range and move up to orange and red where you need to. No, it's a great, um, you know, I think to always break down and put a theoretical look or take a theoretical look at how we train ourselves and how we're aware of ourselves. Um, and I think confidence as a showgirl or a stage manager comes with your ability to know how you handle stressful situations. And I always I always say, you know, people have said, well, how do you have, in the past have asked me, how do you stay so calm in emergency situations in the show and it's because I've said I've, I've been exposed to so many which is true because I've learned how to deal with them so it wasn't like you know none of those things come as a surprise so it's exposure but also learning how to manage my own emotions within that situation which doesn't mean for a second that I'm not shit scared <laughs> but but the, the the reality is there's that it doesn't come out that way um and I think really, you know, something that I think is really important, you know, that adre- adrenaline and everything like that, it's never, I think the really important thing is, you know, the red and the black, it's really important to, if you're in the situations like events and stuff where you're constantly running on adrenaline, that there's a compensation for that on the other side. And I think that's something that I'm learning as I get older. It's not good to be in that constant go, go, go. And whatever you do have to go up into those zones to deliver an event or, to get something done, you have to equivalently compensate for that on the other the side and, and take that time out. And that's something that I think people a lot do that a lot in entertainment. They don't take their time out. So hopefully during COVID they've, they've realised what chilling out for 12 months feels like and, uh, you know, can find, can find that balance. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think that's one of the best, if I can say best, I think that is one of the most interesting things about the past year that we've had, you know, COVID year 2020, that is one of the things that's going to shape the day-to-day. That's one of the things that's going to change how we how we work, but how we live as well. That year has a lot to answer for. And like you say, one of them is actually learning that balance. And that's actually, I think, a really good thing. So tell us about Complex Global. So Complex Global was uh, started about 18 months ago. We started as a consultancy firm based in project management, but also looking very heavily into the risk side of things and a lot of what we've spoken about today. So it's about helping people work uh, in environments where they're not familiar or outside their comfort zone. Um, And that can be in any form. It can be, you know, you are a a dance company out of Singapore and you're touring to Dubai. Okay, it doesn't have to be a hostile environment. Dubai is super peaceful. But um, if you've never worked here before, you have no idea of the cultural implications or just, you know, the fact that someone drives at 140 down the freeway to Abu Dhabi, like those kind of things we've been talking about. Equally, though, there's a whole world of stuff uh, about and a whole lot of stuff that we like to do and a whole lot of work that we do with a lot of partners around the world in helping people work in more complex environments. And I think that comes back to really the root of what we've been talking a lot about today helping people stay as safe as possible so they can, you know, maximize that opportunity and really do the best work they can possibly do while being as safe as possible as well. So uh, helping people operate safely and securely in South America, Africa, the Middle East, and, you know, all those more challenging environments where it is all the more important that you're protecting your staff and, and actually doing things the right way and ensuring the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. 
I mean, I may be as crazy as you are, but I think this is very exciting because it gives you it gives you the opportunity to to do riskier things because you have more knowledge like you have the awareness that they're riskier but you have knowledge to be able to take on and see what happens you know and then we get to more creative stuff and we're just not boxed in the same old same old 100 i mean people think risk is people hear the word risk and go oh bad danger no it doesn't have to be that at all i mean The, the, you face a risk crossing the street in the morning. Uh, you know, you cross it. You run a risk getting in your car. Like there are risks every day. Now, I'm not to say there are there aren't stupid risks, and you should always look at your risk and, and be even handed about it. But at the same time, we work in an industry that's always pushing the boundaries creatively, technically, in in many forms, artistically. Um, why not push the boundaries wherever we can? I mean, you know. Uh, House of Dancing Water, there was some amazing stuff that those performers did on a daily basis that actually, on paper, is incredibly risky. And if you handed that off to a risk manager at Deloitte or you handed it off to anyone who wasn't in our industry, they'd look at you funny and go, what are you doing? Ultimately, these people are incredibly well-trained. They're passionate about what they do. Every safeguard in the universe is around them. So every risk mitigation piece is there to ensure their safety and their success, which also means that we can push the boundaries and do some really amazing, amazing work. And ultimately, that's what we all love to do. Yeah, you know, For me, it always comes back to that old maxim. I forget who said it, but um, a ship is perfectly safe in harbour, but that's not what ships were meant for. And I think that is very much, for me, that sums up my approach to many things and that that sums up the approach of many people I work with is we want to push the boundaries, but we just want to do it in the right, safe productive way and i think when you put the two together yeah there's no limit to where you can go what you can do there's so much cool stuff out there the ships still sink it in the harbor and there's still <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um emergency <laughs> plans for when you're there this is great so 100%. what would you say is the thing you like the most like the one thing you like the most about your job oh, the one thing Has to be one. Ah, uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> We put everybody on the spot with this question, so you get answers. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, at the risk of being trite or lame or whatever, I'm going to say it's the people. Like I, I love the people I work with, but I love, in a wider sense, the industry and the people this industry attracts. And every day I go to work, excited to work with the people I work with. I'm excited for what they can do. There seems to be no limit, no matter whether you're in Dubai. Macau, Melbourne, London, New York, uh, Riyadh, wherever you are, there seems to be no limit to the fact that everyone we cross paths with in this industry, and I mean we meaning all of us, uh, genuinely wants to do incredible stuff and share kind of a common experience. And uh, I'm, uh, yeah, there's never a day that I that I leave going, I am bored by this. Like that is that's what's incredible about this. It's the people that make it special. And then on the flip side, if you could change something about your job or the industry, what would that be? So going back to our conversation before about like COVID and, and 2020, I think one of the big lessons to take away from that is that work-life balance thing. And I think often in our industry, there is a element of what I would refer to as arts martyrdom. Like you just, and I've, I've, I'm firstly guilty of this as much as anybody you get into this headspace where you're working really hard you're trying to put on amazing stuff and get stuff done and you have four hours sleep and somehow that is seen as a badge of honor or working you know 40 days in a row is seen as a badge of honor like oh look how hard i'm working now nobody ever kind of says it in that direct fashion 
But really, that's what they mean. That's absolutely what they mean, because everybody wants to feel appreciated and needed. And therefore, if you can work 40 days in a row, well, you must be needed, right? Because that's so important. But what that does is everyone around you goes, oh, poor you, that really sucks. But ultimately, beyond all of that, you've just worked 40 days in a row. You haven't seen your family. You haven't seen your friends. You haven't had any kind of work-life balance. The only person getting harmed by this is you. And all of the platitudes or all of the kind of care and concern you had for pulling those long hours is going to fade away in seconds. Not to mention the fact that if you're doing those kind of hours and you're working that hard, the quality of your work is probably going to be pretty rubbish. You won't realize it because you're so tired or because you've been doing the same thing for 40 days. But actually, if you take the weekend off or you get a full night's sleep, you will be so much better at what you do. So I would say that you know one of the best things COVID taught me and one of the things I would change, the thing I would change in the industry if I could, is just that glorification of work. Like, no, be at work because you want to be there. Be there because you're doing cool stuff. Be there because you're enjoying working with the people around you. But when that's done, go home, you know, hug your kids, go to the zoo, like go to the beach, take a day off. Like that is so important. And I, you know, I, th- I actually think, you know, as I say, that's one of the things I want to change about the industry. I feel like that's going to change after this year. Everyone I've spoken to here in Dubai, but also back home, they're also in that kind of same frame of mind. I'm just going, you know what? I want to work. Uh, I will work because I want to work, not because I have to. And that is so different. It's a great place to be if you can be financially in a situation where that's a possibility. So, um, you know, I think in, inadvertently that's a great place for, you know, because we've talked a little bit about how that experience has been for a lot of people, but in, in some situations in some countries that hasn't been such a positive experience because of financial strain, mental health issues, et cetera, et cetera. So if anything, you know, there's a lot, but what I, I do think, you know, that time has been a, a great time to reset and, and take a look at all of the depth and breadth of the issues that have been there in the entertainment industry, systemic issues for a long time and start to, you know, work-life balance being one of them, plus mental health, plus diversity, plus Black Lives Matter, plus all of the things. So we've got a big task Absolutely. list to tackle yeah. when we get back. <laughs> <laughs> Got a lot on the to-do list to deal with, for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. So where can the um, audience uh, learn more from you or reach out to you if they want to have any more questions about risk management, change management, Dubai, anything? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Probably the best place to catch me is via LinkedIn. I think that's probably the the easiest place. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Tom Warnicke in Dubai. If there's another one, I haven't met him. Complexglobal.co is the company, and you can track me down via that. And I would be only too pleased to um, uh, have people contact me and we can, um, we can have a chat. I'm more than happy to always hear from people and, and have a good conversation about, you know, what we do and, and how we do it better, safer, and all the cool experiences that are possible. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Cheers. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free. And if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zare for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast. Thanks for listening.